Guys, today we've got Josh Vegan on the podcast, a, a man in the industry that doesn't really need any introduction, but if you haven't heard from him, he's the coach to a majority of the best agents throughout the country, including the number one ranked agent in the country, including Manor Real Estate, including myself. So um, this guy's a, he's a beast. He's a great coach. He's a good coach. And, and to be honest with you, he's turned into, a, he's turned into someone I'd consider a friend over a long period of time as well. Um, but guys, let's get into this podcast. Let's get started. Kevin, great to see you. <laughs> um, mate, my first question uh, jumping into this podcast, you've uh, let's kick start it with a good question. You've seen a lot of successful agents over a, a, quite a long period of time in the industry and a lot of really, really top, top notch that have taken out a lot of awards. So those guys that are at the top of every franchise group that are taking out all those awards – What's the common denominator? You know, it goes back to a really important conversation about making sure that you've got an incredible burning desire, like a reason behind why you're actually doing what you do. I'm not, I'm not a big believer in, in the Simon Semic conversation around, you know, start with why. I'm a big conversation about really getting definition about who you are and what you actually want to go and achieve. When the goal is clear, there are no distractions. And so the most important part, it's you kind of think about it like if your heart surgeon was in the middle of heart surgery, which was kind of critical, would you want them all of a sudden on Instagram posting an update? Like probably not. Mm. So like literally there's no difference here in terms of being a great agent is that ability to be able to focus. Mm. So we live in probably one of the most distracted ages of all time. Uh, we have these mobile devices. They come with us everywhere that we go. We have a ton of notifications that are coming on and literally that we, we have what we got to call an attention society. And so those that can steal your attention are ultimately the ones that win. And there's a reason why they go to call things like social media media because it's a media business. It's fundamentally about attracting eyeballs. And so it's designed to actually be addictive. What you have noticed with the best salespeople in the world and we get to operate in Australia, New Zealand, the UK and the UAE um, is that they are without a doubt very, very focused about really serving customers. Um, there's no egoism. It's not about being number one for them. It's actually about how do I actually scale a business so I can serve more customers more often and actually get those customers to bring more customers. And I kind of love that idea that if you really think about the performance of what someone's truly great at what they do, they love their craft. So loving your craft is about really making sure that you are phenomenal in terms of building the skill sets of what a great agent needs to do. Now, if you think about it, it's about building a formula, right? So sitting inside of any business, what is that formula for success? So if you go and have a quick look at it and, and we pull apart a business before we'll put one back together and we say, okay, great, let's have a look at all of the listings that you've won in the course of the last 12 months. How did you meet the seller? Well, that's your lead generation piece, right? So if you are generating leads because you do great buyer work or you're phenomenal with past clients or you've got a big property management business and you're building a lot from landlords or maybe you're really good with social proof around justice to just sold or maybe you're a phenomenal agent marketer, what you'll find out is that you actually go to amplify the things that work and you cut the wastage. So why is that so critically important? Because not only is it about how you go to generate the leads, it's also then about how you, what you actually do to win the business. So when I'm in a listing presentation, what do I fundamentally say? How do I say it in such a way that so the customer goes, yeah, that's great. I'm definitely going to go with you. And I want to pay an extra 1% for you to be my agent. Like that's a completely different conversation mm -hmm. is that as opposed to fighting to try to win the listing. Then once I win the listing, what do I actually do to process my stock? So that ability to be able to keep days on market short for a better quality customer experience. That's really what it's about. It's not about having it on the market for a long period of time. So when you start to think about the top operators in any business, they have become absolutely um, incredibly focused about the things that work, that amplifying those items, cutting the wastage and being in a position that they start to think, you know, don't do things that just simply aren't going to be good for the long term. And I think that that's a really important part. There's a great quote by Steve Martin, the comedian, you know, it's just it's like everyone wants to be a comedian. They get the photo shoot taken, they get the business card. They're out there in a position, they get an agent, you know, to try to sell them. They want to get the show on all of those things, but they don't actually think about what it takes to become a great comedian. So he's kind of like the other opinion is like become a great comedian and then all of a sudden the rest will look after itself. And you hear that a lot, particularly in amateurs when they first start out, I want to get known. And it's like, okay, that's real egoism. I think that the most important part is that I want to get in front of customers. And so your number one job in being exceptional at whatever you do is, is not only being able to do it, but then having staying power and doing it for three or four decades. Hmm. And that, that's actually the biggest problem for a lot of people is, is that, you know, there's an old school saying that any turkey can find a hurricane. So in other words, like if it's a booming market, it's pretty easy to look great. But literally when the market changes and it comes off and you hit a decline or you hit the bottom of that market cycle, what do you do to still be able to write similar numbers or more um, or be able to improve the quality of your life or to understand that you're at different stages and knowing when to slow down? I think it's a really important conversation that whether or not it's the number one, the number two, the number three that you look at in any network or the conversations around independence or the conversations around the best in our industry, they have an insatiable desire to be learnedals. 
Mm. That's the big difference. Mm. Which out of the countries you serve, which country do you feel has the biggest desire to succeed and be at the top? There's no doubt that literally if you have a look at Dubai and particularly the UAE right now, that is a land of aspiration. And, and, and ultimately, you're coming from a very regressed society to incredibly progressive in a very short period of time. And you also don't have any legacy around previous infrastructure. Like selling residential property there is, on, is only a new industry in the last 20 years. Mm. So if you think about that compared to the layers of re- regulation and things that we've got in play that sit here in Australia, where the biggest opportunity actually sits is always in immature markets. So we operate in Australia and the UK as an example, in New Zealand. They're very mature markets in that there's definitely a way that you can play the game where big gains are made is finding that immaturity and bringing the maturity to that market. And also I think I think that like if you have a look at residential real estate sales in Australia, the projects market is now starting to become more mature because people have really learned a way to go and do it. Um, respectfully, buyer's agency is a very immature market where it hasn't yet got its rules and regulations that maybe established residential does. Yeah, got you. What's your why? Coming back to the why and that drives you. Oh, you know, the, fa- the foundational thing is that literally um, I, I kind of think of like, you know, take me back to the moments that really light you up. Like where is the moment that literally just makes you come alive? And and I have always been a big one for creating opportunity. And I, I love, you know, seeing someone who's in a position that literally doesn't have the opportunity, helping them to be able to fight, to be able to find it, and then getting them in a position of a high level of success. And if I ever look at it, I've always been that. Um, when I was a little kid, I, I literally wanted to be an administrator um, who actually went into businesses that were going into administration oh, wow. and actually move into a position to, you know, bankruptcy rec- um, mm, receivership type yeah. stuff and actually turn those businesses around. And I, I kind of get to do that, except not many of my clients are bankrupt, but that whole conversation is thinking very differently. So I'm constantly looking for the improvement piece and constantly looking for how do we actually do this in a better way. So if you think about it, um, by definition, the thing that I love to do is I love to learn. I, I was very lucky. I've, I've got an incredible dad who was very, very focused on uh, creating a household and an environment where learning was success. And that, that's an interesting conversation. It's like, you know, what can you read? What can you get in front of? All of those things. And I think that, that that's a big driver for anyone is, is that watching someone take something from you and doing incredible things with that is the most rewarding experience of all time. And it, it gets me to think about it like literally um, we could almost not send any invoices and I wouldn't be worried. Because at the end of the day, I, I am worried about you, Kevin. But that basic idea <laughs> is that it actually does make you really realize that you fundamentally love to do what, what you're doing. And there's a there's a good quote on that. It's like amateurs are in a position that they're trying to find something they'll love to do, whereas mm. professionals just love what they do. And so it doesn't matter whether or not we're good, bad or indifferent today, whether or not we got a result. What the secret is that I love doing this and every day I'm going to turn up. What pulled you into training? Uh, interesting enough, um, my dad um, and his dad, um, they'd started a, a, a firm in 1972 um, in regional Australia. They'd come from Brookvale originally in Manly and dad's got eight eight brothers and a, and a sister or two. And, you know, long story short, they all were in the family firm in 1972. So they were in the same residential real estate firm and by the uh, mid-1980s, they'd broken up and they were all competitors against each other. And I just, I kind of got into that point. I actually came from a media background. Um, I then ended up in a position I was in um, residential real estate selling houses. And uh, one day dad wanted to retire and he asked if I wanted to take on the business. And I said, mate, to be honest, I want to go and travel the world. So I actually had an insatiable desire to travel and to go and see things because that's mm. how you nourish your own environment, right? By seeing what the best in the world do. And so that uh, naturally uh, it kind of led in and I had a very good friend at the time, um, Phil Harris and still is and, and Amber Worshin up on the Sunshine Coast who's you know one of the most incredible female agents in the country. And we had the chance to be able to meet and, and they said, hey, come and do some consulting work for us. And that's how it all started where literally we'd, we'd really learnt through and uh, dad had actually had one of the first ever real estate businesses in Australia that was ISO 9001 certified. So like you see on the back of helmets, that's oh, actually wow. an Australian standards thing. So it actually has met a rigorous testing progress, process and actually have um, uh, auditors who actually come in to make sure that you're following your manufacturing processes to guarantee outcomes. So if you want to talk about stickler for performance, uh, about <laughs> dot I's cross T's, we'd grown up in that environment. And so that's really had what it taught me a lot about systems. So I'm a big believer that if you look at the Ray Dalio conversation, it's about, you know, he wrote a book called Principles, right? Mm-hmm. And it's that whole conversation around what's either a system or a person. So the foundational reason why you are or aren't achieving what you want, it comes back down to either I don't have a system for it or I don't have a person for it. So if I get the right people and I get the right systems in play, then I'm going to hit an incredible level of success. So that is a foundationally different way to actually think because when I go to a training room, I don't go, geez, I hope the training's going to be good today. I actually just go, okay, great. So I've got to spend as much time as I can trying to find out what systems or what people are they missing. That's actually the secret ingredient to getting them to that level of performance that they've never achieved before. 
Is that the key unlock in every situation? Not always. Um, you know, there's a great old school saying that attitude is a skill. And so if you think about attitude being a skill, then having a great attitude makes a huge difference. Mm. And, you know, Satya Nadella, the you know, CEO of Microsoft, came out and said, like, you're either a learn it or a know-it-all. And they'd actually been in a position that in Microsoft that they were a bunch of know-it-alls. And it's foundationally something crazy, like there was 260,000 engineers at Amazon building the cloud. And Microsoft didn't even have a single person working on that project. So that's why the Amazon, you know, um, server clouds, uh, they're actually in a position that they're the most uh, successful in the world. Like 60% of internet traffic actually goes through an Amazon.com server because they actually just had leader advantage. And so, but yeah, this is bizarre, right? Because Microsoft had actually built all of the server technology that Windows NT and Windows 95 and stuff were built on. They had servers in each of our offices back, you know, 25 years ago. Now in a position like a server in in an office, you're cracking jokes, like everything's actually up in the crowd, up in the cloud. So that whole conversation is about making sure that you can spot opportunity and chase it. So I, I think that like it foundationally comes back down to understanding what's actually the challenge here. And there's a great quote, you know, you've got to want to. Mm-hmm. So do you, do you actually want to do this? And if you do want to do this, what are you going to do to be the best player in the game at it? And I think there's actually a quote from Jordan out of um, uh, the, Net, the Netflix series, right, where they go to talk about that and they say, hey, you know, how good are you at your job and what are you doing to be the best player in the game? Mm. And, I, and I kind of think about that as that like, um, that like there is no ranking for coaches. We don't have an awards program. We don't have an internal awards at the Josh Vegan company. We're not in a position that um, any of the REIs actually even recognize us. You know, there's no like literally best coach of the year award. Like none of that sort of stuff actually happens because it's, it's a very, very different business. Like you actually have to make a decision to be seriously out there at all times to help people to foundationally get to their levels of success. And there are some people that genuinely are so hungry and so thirsty for that. And there are other people that have actually hit different stages in their business cycle where they're desperate to actually just try to work out if this is for them. Mm. And there's a great book, Predictable Success, where Les McCohen goes to talk about that, where he says, okay, a business goes through some stages, right? The first one is early struggle. Like, you know, how do I get this thing out of the ground? The second one out of that is then moving into fun. Like, so I actually love doing this. And after fun, I then move into whitewater. How do I keep my head above water? Because there's so much stuff coming at me and not, not financially, but just because there's a lot of work. And then how do I actually go to hit predictable success? So I know if I do this, I get that. Mm. That predictable success then gets into what we go to call treadmill. So all of a sudden I'm just running. And after that treadmill, we then move into big rut. Like, you know, if things changed and after big rut, we then go into death rattle. Now, if you think about it, Masters Hardware Stores in Australia literally started and went from early struggle to death rattle in 18 months. Predictable success to me is like Dan Murphy's and Bunnings, where it seems that wherever they open, they always do really well. Mm. It says a lot about Australian society. But this whole conversation okay. is about like really getting clear about what stage you at. So one of the key things that I've learned that was very, very powerful is about learning to build models where then you can actually um, identify where you're at in that stage of the model. So then I can tell you what you need to do next to get to the next stage in that model. And that's a really an important part because... You might be at death rattle, but all of a sudden you want to be back at whitewater. Well, how do I move you back in that? So that whole conversation mm-hmm. is about the power of what modeling does is it actually allows you to say, well, like someone's actually played the game before. So most people would treat this as a very immature game as opposed to a very mature game. So on average, again, depends on your average sale price and your average fee, but every 30 transactions that you do, you're probably going to put someone else in, in your team in support. So 30, 60, 90, at 30 it's you, 30 to 60 is you plus one, 60 to 90 you plus two. And until you start building some super teams, the reality of it is that's usually how it goes. When you have that model, it's so good because when someone comes and go, oh my God, I'm so exhausted, I can't do this. I'm like, how many transactions are you doing? I'm doing 34. Do you have an assistant? No, okay, well that's it because you've actually hit the point that's now starting to get above what you can actually do. And so I think that like I am... I'm really clear to try to make things very simple for people and to, and to be in a position that I don't confuse things. And it doesn't mean I'm not flexible, but there are some things that are absolutely core principles that I'm very rigid about that I go, if we get that right, like routine as an example, or having some goals, then you're actually really coachable. And that, that's one of the great questions, like how coachable are you? Mm. And what do you do to actually make sure that you're actually open to those conversations? You touched on a very interesting point, which I want to get your perspective of is routine and being coachable, what are the routines from either yourself or the top 1% like your Alex Phillips, which you think have built that level of character and success? And can you teach routine? Oh, yeah, there's no doubt you can. Absolutely. Go and talk to my sister. She's got four children under the age of 10. Like you can teach routine. And it's an amazing thing is that like you've got to remember for the stage of life that you're in, mm. what's the routine that you want? So 
Um, it's actually a, a better quality conversation is get really clear on your values first. So if your first value, for example, is health, then health goes in the diary first up. If your second value is then family, then family goes in the diary. Then if your third value is then work, okay, great, then work goes in the diary after that. So to me, if you're at the stage that you've got some beautiful children and you have the ability to be able to drop them at school every day, do that, man, mm. because that's only going to go on for a maximum of 12 years. But make that a great prospecting lead source. You know, so, yeah. so, so, you know, like, and that's that whole conversation is realize like where the lead sources actually come from. Mm. So I am a big believer in that, like, you know, there's an elusive thing. And I think that people are very quick to go, oh, yeah, but that person does this. But like, oh, I'm not able to do that because of X, Y, Z. Well, okay, great. Well, that's actually a, a foundational piece of limiting beliefs. Schedule what you want to go and see more of and get clear about what you want. Um, life is a really important thing. It's really short, but if you do it well, it's actually really long. And so the lesson is, is that never ever get yourself back into a position that you don't feel confident going the direction of your dreams. And I think that there's a lot of um, wasted time, energy and talent where people are doing things that just simply won't get them to where they want to go. Is there an example of... Oh, yeah, I think that like, you know, not having clarity about, oh, no, I'm, I need a partner, I'm single, no, 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 I'm not, no, I've got a partner again, now I'm single again. Now, and they're just going backwards and forwards and say, hey, why don't you just work on you and becoming seriously good at what you do? And naturally the right person will come into your world at exactly the right time. You don't need to be on the apps. You know, and that whole conversation is a really important conversation that sometimes people can obsess about something for a large period of time. Now, routine is absolutely one of the most incredible things that you can build because how do those routines actually go to support? So... Routine really starts about planning a year out in advance. When do you actually take holidays? When do you actually work? Don't take holidays in the middle of spring. Like, you know, like that's a really simple thing. But you could take a week um, over Melbourne Cup because like literally you could disappear that week and no one in Australian real estate would even know because they're mm. at the racetrack, right? And you're, and you're out and then get refreshed to really hit the last four or five weeks of a year out. And this is a really important conversation that then you actually start building um, the life that you actually want to see. Now, the first hour for me of every day is for me. That's for no one else. That's a magical hour. You know, that chance to be able to go and, and do it, go for a run or work with your PT or do some stretching or flexibility or movement. That's the only chance I'm going to get to do that all day. Mm. So I think that routines are important. Um, there's a group of people in the world that wake up every morning with the goal to eat as much as they can because that keeps them competitive and that's called a sumo wrestler. So if you think about a residential real estate agent, if the routine practice daily of one 45-minute call session at the start of a business day, the compounding impact of those appointments over time is absolutely phenomenal. But if you don't do it, it's absolutely disastrous. You know, mm. Kevin, we've done 30-day intensives and stuff with each other over the years and I've worked with you in many different capacities and I go to think that like, you know, the, the difference between where you were a decade ago versus where you are today at Foundation has come back down to the routine and learning that you're all in and I think you guys refer to it as a beast or an animal. I just think that at the end of the day it's someone who's really focused. Mm. Like literally like this is it. Now, now focus is important but you've got to have awareness. You know, so what am I burning or what are the sacrifices? And, and I think that's the really important part, get clear about what you want first. What, what would you, from seeing people at the top of the game, mm -hmm. what's more valuable to someone on the pursuit of success, their routines, their why, or their actual skill set and talent around the Oh, trade? routines every day of the week. Because like literally if one of the routines is to grow skill set, it's awesome. You know, so like literally what came first, the chicken or the egg, first mm. ate the chicken, then ate the egg, it's an old Beastie Boys lyric. And it's like literally it's all together, right? But I think that like without a doubt, um, answer this question for me, what do you want? And, and yeah. I, I love that because people go, oh, geez, that's actually really confronting. Well, no, it's not. Do you want to? So think about the Matrix in the movie, Red Pill, Blue Pill. It's like, oh, do you want to stay living in the same house you're living in right now for the rest of your life? Oh, no, I don't. Okay, great. Well, where do you want to be living? Do you want to be living beachside? Do you want to live in harbourside? Do you want to be mm -hmm. living in the suburbs? What's good for you? Do you want to be on acreage? Okay, great. And then do you want to be living on your own? Do you want a partner? Do you want kids? Do you not want kids? It's actually okay not to. Like, you know, and this is the whole key thing. It's also awesome to, to, to do it. So you've got to make the choices about um, what do I want? I want this. And it's so funny because when you talk to someone, you go, okay, great. Hey, what do you want? And you're like, oh, to be honest, lunch. You're like, okay. <laughs> so their focus is at that level. Yeah. So when you go to you know, play in something we go to call horizons of focus, you go 50,000, 40, 30, 20, 10, ground level right so you're jumping out of a plane i don't think they go that high but you're jumping out of a plane at fifty thousand feet you probably die but it's about fifteen thousand. we normally do it but at fifty thousand, you jump out you see the whole globe at forty you you're now starting to focus on the country at thirty you you're now starting to focus on the state of new south wales at twenty thousand, you're now starting to focus on sydney at ten thousand, you're now starting to think okay i'm landing in picton and like literally and then at zero you're on ground and you're running right so if you think about that your ability to plan so one of the things i say to people is i say take your current age right now and add 25 so you go, okay, great. So in 25 years' time, what does life look like? 
oh, well, I don't know. Okay, great. Well, you should find that out because I don't want you like, do you still want to be able to walk at 25? Yeah. Do you still want to be energetic at 25? Yeah. Do you still want to have great health at 25? Well, yeah, I do. Okay, great. Well, why are you living in a way that that's going to occur? Do you think that late nights every night are actually going to help you to get to that? Do you think that literally being in a position where you don't eat the best diet is actually going to help you to be fit? You know, so that's that whole conversation. It's like when you really get clear and say, hey, I just want those things. And it's not hard. Go spend an hour in an environment that inspires you and actually just write out some things that you actually want. And there are some things that will come really easy. You might go, oh, you know what? I'd love a garage of classic cars. And I'd really love some motorcycles. I'd really love to have a great um, couple of young daughters around that I could be a great dad to. You know, like, and so whatever those things are, that's the important part. And this is the, the interesting thing is, is that when you, are, when you are in that position that you, you take the time, you become very purposeful around your actions. And purpose is a really big part of saying, I'm, I'm purposeful around that action because I know that it gets that. So I, I eat lunch every day at 12 o'clock. Um, why do I eat it at 12 o'clock? Because it's just a random time I chose. But the reality of it is it's about six hours from probably when I have breakfast and it's about six hours from probably when I have dinner. And so naturally I like to eat early. And if I eat early, I've got consistency. So I'm not you know trying to choose something at the service station at four o'clock in the afternoon that I shouldn't. And that's that whole conversation is that, you know, live a life that's planned. And I, I had someone say to me the other day, oh, you've got no spontaneity. So I got plenty of spontaneity. I just happen to have it planned 18 months in advance, right? Like particularly when it comes to our work. Uh, when it comes to restaurants now, I don't know if you noticed in the post-COVID era, everything has to be booked. So like we just don't live in a society that actually rewards spontaneity when it comes to your restaurant bookings at least. And so what is really important um, is that there's a big difference between, okay, great, um, I don't know where we're going to go tonight, we're going to work it out, but we're definitely going out to dinner at six and it's going to be somewhere versus actually just saying, oh, do you want to go to dinner? I don't, yeah, and, and actually wasting time. Mm makes sense uh, one of the things that i've learned through my experience coaching with particular mentors is a concept of flow not force what's been your experience with something like that versus that planning rigid nature there's a whole conversation about that about flow um i can't remember their author it's mc but it's a really hard name yeah. or something <laughs> i didn't even get that right so but you start thinking about that, that when you're in a state of flow but like i can tell you what i certainly didn't have the state of flow when i first started speaking and i certainly didn't have a state of flow when i first made my first 45 minute call session and so this is about that ability to push past and so um, i think it comes back down to a mindset of i get to rather than i have to if you're in a position and this is one of the great mental hacks of all time that I get to do this as opposed to I have to do this, it changes everything. Like, so I get to make calls today. I get to be in front of people. I get to go and make those things happen. Yeah, like, um, I hate this. Well, that's just a really immature mood. So what you've actually got to do is actually say, I haven't yet perfected this. So look at the power of when I add the word yet to a conversation. I really hate prospecting, right? That's awful, right? I'm no good at prospecting. Okay, great. I'm not good at prospecting yet. When I add one mm. word, yeah, it changes the whole intention because there's, I haven't met anyone who's highly successful inside of a residential real estate practice um, that, that actually hasn't made that decision to get really good about getting on the phones. Now, I want to get, be really clear on this. I've got um, an agent in Australia that I coach at the moment that our goal is for him to do one transaction this year. And if he achieves that goal, we're absolutely, we have blitzed it. He's 84. Wow. So doing a transaction this year, by the way, he smashed his numbers. He's already his ninth or tenth transaction so far through the year. And, and that's, but what's the difference is it gives him purpose. That's what work's all about. Mm. Like work is a massive part of our purpose. You know, so to his family and so to, you know, our other things that we've got to do in terms of our pursuits, the climb Everest and all that stuff. But um, I, I don't actually think that, that you're in a position. I've, I've loved it when tormentors, better than mentors, tormentors have actually said, no, you actually have to do this. Because it yeah, made me right. push to get through the hard part. Yeah. Like literally, I'm pretty sure that if you're Max Verstappen, you just don't get to go out on a Formula One track and just spin the wheels and say, oh, I'll come to training when I want. But if you want to be the best in the world at Formula One or you want to do any of those things, the amount of um, dedication and the tough things that you actually have to push through to get you to the other side. And if you mm -hmm. think about it, um, Joe DeSena, you know, did the Spartan races, but like he's a phenomenal operator about that. Like you have to push through tough. There is no option. When you're putting a coaching plan together, do you take it? Let's say you want to get someone to the top of the game, the best mm -hmm. in the world. Will you take into consideration that person's feelings or how they're going to react to stimulus? Oh, or yeah, is it absolutely. only about just yes. getting the work done? No, no, absolutely. Let me ask you a question. How do you like to be coached? So, 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 and, yeah. that's, and people are like, well, what do you mean by that? Yeah. I, I didn't know there was options. You know, it's like a buffet. It's like sizzler. You choose what you want. Um, but, but as an example, I don't sit down and, and build a coaching program for an individual. 
I will for an organization, but I don't for an individual. So one of the key things for the individual is, is that like it's it's hard to get me like, uh, and that's deliberately designed that way because I um, it's also me choosing my life of who I want to spend time with, and I want to see people that are going to get result. Just because you've mm. got money doesn't mean you get access, and that that is a really important part because I really want to spend my time with people that are phenomenal around what they do. So. Once I do get the opportunity to work with you, you don't sign up for the rest of your life. You actually get the opportunity of today's coaching session. Once we have a conversation, then I then work out whether or not I think I can do more with you. How open to learning were you? Did you give me feedback after the session? Did we connect on socials? Did you actually give me some encouraging words about something? Did you also tell me when it didn't work? You know, were you open to that conversation? And then if I'm then feeling that then we're getting the momentum, then we'll continue to go to do that work. Um, you know, I've got a, um, a, the opportunity of working with an incredible client. She's a 22-year-old. Um, she's phenomenal. She's going to be a really amazing agent, definitely a great one to watch in our industry. But the passion and the tenacity and the desire to chase me down and to want to go and do work and then it's just completed a 30-day intense with me has actually been phenomenal to watch. So it's not age, right? It's, a, it's about that desire to actually mm. want to get better. And I think that like that's the big conversation is, is that if life is short, you want to work with people that are actually going to go and do something with it. So I enter in to say, okay, great. So where are you at and what's going on? I've coached people through some very difficult circumstances. Um, we've had um, suicides of partners. We've had the loss of a child. Um, we've had situations of um, bankruptcy and foreclosure. We've um, dealt with situations of lots of different things that are very full on that you'd never hear me ever speak on on stage. And what I know is, is that one of the reasons that most people will come back is, is because you're really solid about being able to deal with conflict and really solid about being able to deal with situations and you can get perspective in seconds about that particular situation i might not have the answer but i can get the perspective to be able to to be on the level of where that customer is at so there's a there's a great one um there's the drama triangle where you start to think a little bit about the seven dysfunctional dwarfs so you kind of like you know shouty and moany and crabby and martyry and all of those things or is this actually something that that's that's really going on and I think that like that's the important part is, is that where is that client out in that journey and what are they actually expecting out of today? So one of the key things is that I always say to people, hey, look, there's obviously a problem that you're trying to solve by getting someone like Josh Fagan involved. What's the problem we're here to solve today? And I hit it from that beginning. Even if I've got a pre-coaching brief, even if the client's already told me what we're heading into, I will always do that at the start of every conversation with someone because I, I'm very, very clear to say, okay, great, what could have changed in the course of the last six hours that I need to be aware of? And, and we used to, you know, be in that day that if someone came late to the sales meeting, we'd lock the door. And I don't do that stuff. You know, someone comes late to a sales meeting, I think, wow, geez, I hope that nothing, you know, untoward has gone on on their way to the office. I hope that, in, you know, that when involved in a car accident or something else doesn't happen. If someone just doesn't turn up because they're lazy and they don't set the alarm clock and we have to pull them out of bed, that's a completely different conversation, right? But I'm, I'm always of that position of just absolutely do your best and the best will come back. That's inspiring. One question I have for you, a lot of people obviously come to you when no, something's not going right. Mm -hmm. With a lot of these businesses that, or agencies that are coming through, what's the, what's the most common roadblock that's stopping them from high levels of success? Oh, a lot of it really comes back down to immature thinking on, on either side, on either the agent side or on the brand side where the brand hasn't yet built the infrastructure that it needs. To give you an idea, oh, no, sorry, mate, you can't put on an assistant because they've never done that before, mm. not realising that that's actually the growth model. Um, and what really proactive directors, principals, sales managers, leaders, heads of property management do is that they actually say, well, look, let me go and investigate that. And they, they, they reach out to their network. Hopefully someone like me might be in that in terms of a trusted advisor and I'll say, hey, I saw someone do that great over in London. Let's have a conversation with them. I saw someone great who did that out in Pennant Hills. Let's go and have a conversation with them. And the lesson is to actually then, you know, try to find the best in the world who are currently doing that and then, you know, sit next to them, go and have that conversation. Um, and I think that like, you know, it's all about creating opportunity. And um, I was very lucky to work with um, an incredible guy in our industry, a guy by the name of Nick Dowling, who runs an amazing business called Jealous Craig down in Melbourne. And Nick took me out to lunch one day and he said, oh, it's, it's very rare that someone's going to do this. So I'm going to sit you down. I'm going to have a conversation with you. I said, yeah, go for it. He goes, well, it's just this. He goes, um, you need to know something. I said, what do I need to know? He goes, one of the things that's, that's making you really good at what you do is that you're prepared to ask questions of other people that other people wouldn't ask. I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, you'll just pick up the phone and ring someone where no one else would. I was like, well, wow. give me an example of that. So there was a, an incredible book called Cut to the Chase by Stuart Levine. So um, I, I chased Stuart Levine down. I picked up the phone and I rang him. I said, oh, hey, Stuart, it's Josh Vegan calling from New York. Do you want to come out and speak wow. at one of our events at Lissell Negotiate? You know, this was many years ago. 
And she was like, yeah, okay, great, let's do that. And I said, well, mate, if you're going to travel from New York, like we should go out to dinner the night before. So we took out for dinner and I said, hey, when I'm in New York, let's go and catch up and we'll have lunch over there as well, but you'll owe me for the dinner I paid for you here in Australia. And so I started to learn that, that literally you've got to go and chase it. So there's a phenomenal guy by the name of Dr. Edward Hallowell and he wrote a book called Crazy Busy about ADHD and ADD. And so I said, okay, great. So I, I chased him down. I said, you know, Dr. Edward Hallowell, I'm going to bring, you know, 15 of the most incredible business leaders in Australia and New Zealand, 15 of the best leaders out of London, and we're going to go to an event in Seattle. We'd love you to come. So that was actually our last one that we did on a, in a major international basis in 2019 before COVID hit. And we had Dr. Edward Hallowell actually speak about that, about the issues of having a Ferrari for a brain and having bicycle brakes and about how you amplify talent because you're actually in a position that you realize well, hang on a second, um, I'm spinning spectacularly out of control because I don't know how to put safeguards in play. So I'm going to put the right people around me to actually prevent me from doing that. Um, so I have a phenomenal lady in my life um, by the name of Kylie who happens to be my head of sales. She's been a, my, my first ever boss back in newspapers 22 years ago. She's worked with me for over eight or nine years, but she's a phenomenal brake specialist. So she can make sure that I stay on the track you know, for as much time as possible actually doing the work. And I think that that's a really important part in life is to realize where your strengths are and where your blind spots are. And she's phenomenal about being able to find those blind spots and, and keeping me in the straight and narrow. Do you find most of this common, the people at the top of the game have similar breaks holding them back or do you feel... Oh, no, it's always different? completely differently. I think that more of the breaks are actually at the bottom of the game. How so? Oh, because people just put limiting thoughts. Age, profile, demographic, I'm too young, I'm too old, mm. I don't have enough hair, i got too much hair, I don't know. Like initially, you know, I'm not beautiful, I'm not this, I haven't worked in that marketplace before, I'm from the country, I'm from the city. Like you create like 10 million excuses in your own brain rather than actually saying, okay, great, what do I need to learn to actually be the best in the world at this? And there's, a, you know, if you guys, um, you probably would have read a lot of the Jim Collins stuff, right? And Jim Collins is really clear about saying, you know, the greatest intersection of all is, um, is being able to do something you actually like doing. Uh, being able to be the best in the world at doing that and getting paid for it. And if you can get in the middle of that intersection of those three circles, that's actually where the sweet spot is. Mm. And so what you got to start thinking about is that, okay, great. Stop asking, oh, if real estate doesn't work out for me, I'll just go do something else. The moment you have a plan B is the moment that it always goes sideways. So you need to make a decision that this is actually a career. Now, I, I get to work with some incredible people in our property management industry, which is completely underserved when it actually comes to the training space um, in terms of, you know, podcasts and all that other stuff. And the reality of it is that like property management is absolutely the core of great business, but it also breeds an incredible relationship with landlords who are actually future customers in the sales environment. You know, and this is the crazy mm -hmm. thing is that just because you lose a listing, why do you lose the relationship? So let me give you an idea. I went into a business the other day that a thousand properties under management. And one of the things that they do is they archive a property when they lose it. So in other words, the owner takes it back, the owner gives it to a rival agency, the owner sells the property or the owner moves back in. So I said, okay, great, that's pretty interesting. So we went and had a quick look over the last five years and they've archived 600 properties. Jeez. And, and, and that, that's happened through a boom, right? Like people sell and whatever. Mm. I said, okay, great. So they don't have that property, but what about their principal place of residence? What do you mean? Okay, great. Well, there's 600 landlords right now that you've just handed back, so to speak. But that was about their investment property. Why aren't you serving them about their principal place of residence or where they live? Oh, we never thought to call that. And that's oh. actually a real lack of infrastructure and it's, and it's an immature market where we're exploiting an opportunity that both the property management and the sales CRMs aren't necessarily actually finding that space. And what you will see in the evolution of the industry, and this is the big driver now around data, um, about, about this whole conversation around data lakes, is it like literally both of those CRMs actually suck up into a system and that system actually sits at the top and a data scientist is able to find opportunities that other people don't see. And then you then layer that in with third-party data. So what is that consumer actually doing on domain? Or you go and buy additional data sources about what is that person actually doing when they walk into Bunnings and baby bunting and you get the whole idea so that then you can actually tell who's actually going to be next. Now, whilst that data and technology view is a phenomenal one, I can also tell you who's going to be next because they're probably at your open home. If you ask them, hey, have you bought locally and what are your plans with your existing you could probably find the next seller right there. Mm. So mm. you can also spend $10,000 on Facebooks to try to find the seller that's directly in front of you at the open for inspection by just having great conversations. Mm. And so foundationally, um, when I think about people, um, like what, what determines that someone's at their best? I think my dad's at his best right now doing 20 transactions a year, you know, at 70. Like I know that that's not 200 transactions a year, but mm. I think it's foundational because it provides a ton of purpose. And so I want us to reevaluate, you know, what does success actually look like for us and how will we know that we've achieved it? And I know that literally that if I passed away today, and hopefully I don't, but if I did, that I'd turn back and I'd say, hey, the last 16 years in, in having the opportunity to work with some of the best estate agents in the world has been one of the most incredible experiences of life. And like literally, hopefully I, I reinvested more than I made. 
into hopefully producing a better industry with better people in it that can actually perform at their best and really understand the stages that they're at. You know, I, I actually have a phenomenal group of people that I work with in New Zealand. They're all over the age of 65. We also get the opportunity to work with some great 20-year-old females that are entering our industry that, that are going to become phenomenal around what it is that they do. So it's really important to understand that I just don't think it is about number one, number two, or number three. I think it's that what are you doing to be the best at what you do in the world mm. and how do I actually make you a role model so other people say, hey, you're great at that and I want to go to follow that person. Mm. And how do you do that? Well, it's really about opening conversations. What do you want? Mm. And I know that sounds like really crazy, but like it's foundational is that like unless we're clear about what we're trying to do. So let, let me um, take it another way. So today we have the opportunity downstairs, we've got a Toyota Corolla and we've got a Toyota Land Cruiser. Which car should we take? Toyota Land Cruiser. Right, right. But, but you can't make that decision mm-hmm. until you know where we're going. So if we're yeah, quickly true. whipping into town for a quick five-minute journey because we're going to go and pick up some tickets to the concert tonight, then maybe the crawler's the choice. But if we're going to go out to the desert and climb, you know, sand dunes, mm. I, then definitely it's the Land Cruiser. And so the mistake to make is that you're driving along and you think the people in the Land Cruiser have got it made because they've got the big car. And mate, that's terrible to try to park in George Street, Sydney. So, so what you've got to get really clear is, is that what, what I think is completely undercooked in our industry is mm. actually understanding business models and also to understanding literally about the modeling of what you actually do to be a successful real estate agent. Because if you've got really clear models, then you know what stage you're at. And in our very early work, Kevin, you'd probably remember this, we did like level one, level two, level three agent. Mm. And I used to have people that would walk up and they go, oh, hi, Josh, I'm a level one agent. I'm like, oh, hi, my name's Josh, <laughs> your name is, oh, great. And that's and because they, they loved getting into a box because then it was clear what to do to get out of that box. And mm. I think that like that's the really important part is, is that, you know, never take advice from someone who's far less successful than you. True. What happens if you're in a in an office where there is no high performing agent? What would you say to that person? Well, it depends on is there a learning culture? Mm. Because I've seen plenty of people that are successful. You don't have to just be surrounded by those people. You can come to training, you can go to training environments, you can read books. Like, you know, I, I've got a lot of problems in my life. So I went to Amazon.com and I typed in all the problems and a book came up. Mm. You know? Yeah. So so foundationally, like literally for twenty dollars, you can buy someone's entire life work around that particular skill. I thought that meetings suck. Have you guys ever been in a meeting where you're like, oh my goodness, it literally just drained all of your life? So I went and typed in Meetings Suck. There's a book called by Cameron Herald called Meetings Suck and I read that and, it, and now I have the best meetings I've ever had in my career. So I think that like the lesson is, is that um, it, 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 as long as it's not prohibitive, as long as it's supportive, it, it really can. And I've, I've seen people with very small boutiques that absolutely nail it. I've seen people that work in some of the biggest brands of all time that open up in a new area where they're not known in that area and nail it. And what the absolute skill is, is about the desire about what do we actually want to go to create. So, you know, um, Tom Peters talks a lot about that. He goes, you know, who do we intend to become? Mm. So, so where are we sitting inside of our marketplace? Are we the Louis Vuitton or are we the reject shop? Oh, no, to be honest, I'm just a really good David Jones. I want to work with lots of people, whether or not they're buying a $4 set of socks or a $25,000 TV. I actually want to be able to present the best in breed. And I think about that as what great agents do is that they present the best property in each price range. So I can do a studio one, two, three bedroom apartment. I can also do a beautiful five bedroom home or I can also do some acreage. But I actually know that literally um, where do I actually go to specialize and how do I move up and down the price points? And it's at different stages in my career where I'm going to have someone who might just do the units. And I might have somebody in my team who just specializes in doing acreage. And so I'm just going to nail my bit in houses or whatever that is, right? But it's actually really about making the decision that this is where I'm going to sit and what I'm going to go and do. You're very fortunate now to be obviously coaching some of the best in the world. Fortunate or worked hard? Both. Yeah, that's a great point. What would you say it comes down to? Creating opportunity. Creating opportunity. So, so like when I go to have a quick look at it, um, there's a great old school saying and, and life always comes back down to questions. It's where you go, okay, um, let me ask you this, right? Where does the customer hang out before they need you? Mm. So I thought, okay, great. So and not everything we do is successful. There's plenty of failures. In fact, there's a lot more failure than there is success. And I remember this, um, we went over to the National Association of Realtors Conference. I've never spoken there. It was kind of a life goal at one point. I thought, okay, great. I'm going to go and do this. I'm going to, I'm going to expand into America. I got my passport. I, I got an American visa to go and work in America. And everything was going great. And so I went over there. And as I went over there, I, I went to the NAR conference and I, I went out one night on my own. I thought I'll just go get some dinner at a teppanyaki bar. And I was sitting down and 
literally as I sat down, I sat down next to this guy and I said, oh, hey, you know, my name's Josh. He goes, oh, hi, my name's Peter. He goes, oh, what do you do? I said, I'm a real estate trainer. He goes, oh, get out of town. I'm, I do the same. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, um, you have a big conference in Australia called ARIC. I'm like, yeah, we do. He goes, well, we've got a big conference in America, sorry, in, um, in the UK um, called the EA Masters. And I was like, oh, wow. He goes, thousand business owners in a room. I'm like, wow, that's incredible. He goes, when? I said, when is that? He goes, it's every December. I said, get out of town. When? He goes, oh, December 3 this year. I said, wow. I said, you wouldn't believe it. I'm actually in London on December 3. He said, are you really? I said, yeah. He goes, do you want to come and speak at the event? I said, yeah, that'd be great. And that one chance meeting at that teppanyaki bar then kicked wow. off a 13-year growth mark um, where we abandoned our, um, our ambitious plans to grow into America and completely shifted to the UK. And it, wow. was, it was like literally when I say creating opportunity, it's like literally, you know, um, think about breaking barriers. How do I go to create opportunities sitting where I am today? If you don't ask, you don't get. So when I start to think a little bit about that conversation, creating opportunity is really the big one. Um, and actually, to be honest, I work with people that produce anywhere from $50,000 a year right the way through to someone who's doing $21 million a year. The biggest businesses that I coach in, in the country would turn over $400 million in turnover. So like it, it, it like doesn't matter. Mm. I like to me, um, I, I'm just as happy to work with someone right now who's actually struggling in an open for inspection callback. Um, and then later on that afternoon, I might be called into one of the most complex mergers in our country. So like literally um, the critical thinking, the ability to be able to think through a situation, get around the right people is a really important part. Um, the power of a network and also to the ability to remain um, hungry, humble and people smart, which Patrick, uh, Patrick Lecone, he actually wrote about that. And I just, I just think a little bit about that. It's like, like how do you stay really hungry to be continuing to grow? How do you actually demonstrate humility and what it is that you do? And how do you make sure that your people smart for the people that are around you? people smart that's a big one yeah it's what stage are they at and and what do they really want i I had a lady say to me the other day she was 26 she goes i actually don't want to work so okay great there's not much i can do to help you then (laughs) yeah like and that's actually okay like i'm I'm okay with that right and this is the mistake is to make is that like literally you only work with the the top people i think that like literally i've i've great thrill in in meeting someone who's um a no one and turning them into someone and seeing the difference and when you've seen this kevin at our blueprint event when we see our changed agent awards and you get people that 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 have come through um significant adversity and challenge and have gone on to do incredible and amazing things and i I tell you what on my deathbed they'll be the moments i remember more than um than an agent who was writing x number of dollars who wanted to ring up and see what Mm. i could do for their team in a world that's so egotistical, why do you think you're like that? I don't, I don't know if the world is egotistical. I think that literally there's a drive in our industry to think that literally it has to be about that. Mm-hmm. Um, egoism is one thing. I think having a healthy ego is an important part of what we do. Um, I'm not against ego at all. But I think that literally it's about understanding what the power of comparison is. If you compare yourself to someone else, that's a really good tool if it inspires you, mm. right? But it's a terrible tool if it drives insecurities. <clears throat> Mm, and so, so i'm off that opinion it's like okay great I, I like to look at the best in the world and go well how would i do that yeah like like what is it like you know i've got some theories about what makes justin hems one of the most successful restaurateurs in sydney i've got some theories <laughs> i haven't been close to know but i've got some theories and he knows how to open a restaurant right whereas i've, I've seen other restaurants that that open and fail very quickly what, what did they do differently mm. and so like literally that's that whole conversation is it really comes back down to thinking that um you know we're, we're all the same um it's very difficult um we, we, we put our genes on one leg at a time you know so don't think you're better than anyone else be in a position that you're there to serve and that's um servant leadership where you start thinking about hey how can i go to serve more people and actually help them to go and achieve their potential having the perspective of coaching someone at the top of the game like an alex phillips mm-hmm. why do you think he's been able to separate himself to be at that top level well alex without a doubt is not even remotely interested in the competition and I don't say that in a rude way. Alex is, is very much in a position that he is one of the most loyal people that you'll ever meet. Uh, we have a very strong relationship. We've worked um, for, me, for a number of years together. Uh, we, were, we had an opportunity to record some podcasts yesterday. Um, he's insatiably hungry. And um, it's not just residential real estate transactions. If you wanted to buy a car, Alex is the sort of guy to be able to pull you out with the right car dealer to be able to put that transaction together. And that came from his dad, Ron Phillips, one of the most successful secondhand car sales guys in, in all of Australia back in his day. And Ron is an incredible operator and as is Alex's brother Will um, as well in, in McGrath up at Byron Bay. You start thinking it's just that desire to want to be absolutely at their best and, and mm. they play it as a game. Like it, you don't wake up in the morning and go, I don't want to prospect. He's like, oh, okay, great, I get a chance to play the game today. I get to. What can I do to get a high score? 
And it's like back in the old Mario Brothers day, right? Level one, level two, level three, up to level eight. How do you save the princess and kill the dragon? Mm. You know, like this is just a different set of skill sets. And he is absolutely insatiable around his growth. I, I saw Alex here and I said this to him the other day at an auction and happened to be an in-room auction and it was like a random one at like a four o'clock on a Thursday. And so I was picking up some training manuals and he was there working with the client and, and he was um, bidding on their behalf and they were unsuccessful in the purchase. And in any case, I could see him and he, worked, he really cared about his client. But the moment that he left, he literally was on that phone calling four or five other sellers that he knows in the area to say, hey, I've got the buyer for yours. When can I show them through? And that's like that, that level of tenacity and desire to really want to be someone. Um, and it's, it's an interesting conversation. It's just about how do I play this game better than anyone else? And when you become a great student of the game, you, you find ways to absolutely perform at your best. But sustainable success is about being able to do it for a decade or two or three uh, rather than just being in a position that, you know, you burn brightly, shine shine bright like a diamond and then disappear, um, not by choice but because you just couldn't sustain it over a long period of time. There's no point being a successful real estate agent and burning your relationships and burning your income and burning your health and doing all of those things. Mm. Those things are much more important. What's the – what's I, I, like it was never about learning how to write a million dollars. It was learning how I could serve enough customers to write a million. Mm. You know, and I, I think a little bit about that is that like literally what are you learning rather than what are you earning? And I think that like literally that's the most important part and that's what I really look at is, that, you know, who are the people that are in a position that they're foundationally happy, uh, they're foundationally driven, they're foundationally unhappy and know what to do to fix that. You know, and that's a big difference is a lot of motivation comes back down that and you think about change. Ari Weinzweig talks a lot about this dissatisfaction times by vision, times by first steps. If you're not dissatisfied, I can't help you. If you don't have a vision, I can't help you. If you're in a position that you're not prepared to make first steps, I can't help you. But if you want to set some of those, I can help you with that. If you want me to point out some things you should be dissatisfied with, I can help you with that too, right? Mm. And there's a, there's a, I think it was Jim Rowan, you know, back in the day, and he said, you know, one of the worst things is when you meet someone who's ugly and they earn more money than you. He goes, you know, the other worst thing is also when you meet someone who's ugly and doesn't work that much and they earn more the money than you. <laughs> and, they, and then literally it goes down to like 10 things like, you know, they're ugly, they, they don't like work, they don't work much, they're in a position that literally they're sick and they still earn more money than you. And that's that whole thing is, is that don't use envy make the decision to actually say okay great life is short and we do that in this um, very powerful activity which we go to call the journey of life and you know that we long story short is that you know you're going to die in five years time i know that and i'm wearing a i'm taking you up to the, the final resting place on earth and, and when we go to the final resting place i say okay great you know um, we're going to go and film the best moment of your life which actually typified who you were as a human being like literally what was that moment who was around you what was that experience like and then, what was your moment? Oh, so I'll finish this little bit and can get to that. It's like that whole conversation is that then now that we've done that and we're actually going to record that and we're going to recreate that moment and then all of a sudden every other moment in your life is going to vanish, which moment would it be? So I started thinking about it. It's like, oh, what are some of the great moments of life? You know, it's like um, on a motorbike out the back of Cancoban is a beautiful experience. Um, having the opportunity to go to produce our blueprint in the middle of um, lockdown era was a phenomenal experience to be able to give people in the arts and entertainment industry a job, you know, being able to create inspiration for people that literally couldn't leave their houses after 253 days of lockdown in Victoria. That was out of control. So like those moments about, you know, writing a book and, you know, being in front of people, like they happen all the time. Sometimes the greatest moments is, is the smallest thing. I got to hang out with one of my great friends, Izzy, and her partner, Todd, the other day. And, you know, we're, we're learning, uh, we're, we're teaching um, her baby who's just about to turn one, you know, steps and, and how to walk for the first time. Mm. Like, they're, like, don't think that it actually has to be bigger, better, X, Y, Z. Sometimes it's the smallest thing that can be some of the most proudest moment, moments inside of your life and your career. Love it. That was awesome. So I probably I, I probably spoke way too quick. Um, nah, my mum said to me the other day is that like um, she goes, Joshua, I'm no longer going to ask you to slow down. I'm just going to learn how to keep up. <laughs> and and I was like, oh, mum, that's great. And I think that you know I'm, I'm very lucky. I've had some great parents, and um, you know we, we didn't have any. There's no broken background. There's no issues or challenges. We just lived a very normal life and very humble beginnings and all of the above. And we just we you know we we we, we didn't go wanting but we were actually mm. in a position that, that also too we didn't have everything either and we had to learn how to save and you know buy the color tv and all that sort of stuff but the interesting thing that i really learned is is that like um my mom said one of the most amazing things that you can ever do is to have a beautiful mind a beautiful mind so think about um learning how to get your mind to think and how to create and how to box your way out of situations and that if you can build your mind in, in the way that you think and the way that you develop, it makes a huge difference in the type of person that you become. And I think that 
I would love that where it, it what, what makes me the saddest is when I see people go, oh, I don't read. I was up by choice. Oh, no, I just don't like reading. Well, maybe you just haven't found a book yet that lights you up. You know, it's like, oh, have they got a movie of that yet? No, they don't because you actually need to use your own imagination. And I think that like literally the distance between where you are and where you want to be is a couple of thoughts. It's a little bit of discipline. It's a little bit of desire. It's about having the right mentors and tormentors and stuff around you and making that decision to be become truly great at what you do. And I think that like um, no one ever asked this question, what is – like what makes real estate the best career in the world? And I don't know whether or not you guys can pick up, but I really love this this career of real estate, right? Mm. Because you meet so many incredible people. Um, sometimes you meet people and you're really glad you're not married to them. <laughs> you have the opportunity to not get paid by the hour, but you actually get paid on result. And it's an equal playing field at the start of every month. At day one, everyone's got no listings or sales. Mm. And so literally you got to go for it and you got to go and hammer it. And this is that chance that like literally it's a constant competition and – it's that whole idea. It's like, you know, when people go, oh, what sport do you play? I'm like, business. Mm. Like, what? Mm. Like, don't you play like football or, or like tennis? I'm like, no, no, I, I play business because this is about assembling the best team to go out and win against some of the toughest market conditions, you know, some of the playing conditions against some of the toughest competitors in the industry and actually learn how to go to win. Mm. I think there's plenty of room for everyone and you should always speak lovely of your competitors because one day they might be your staff. True. And I think, and some one day you might be their stuff if it doesn't go right too, right? So, like, literally, I think that like um, there's a really good opportunity for professionalism to to continue in our industry. It's a great opportunity to actually realize that you don't have to put anyone down. You don't have to speak ill of anyone. My mum always taught me that. She said, "You know, Josh, you can just say, oh, that one's for me. That's not for me.'" And mm. as often, someone go, oh, "What do you think about that person? Oh, not for me. Mm. Uh, what do you think about that person? I've never worked with them. I wouldn't know." You know, so and it's just like mm. it's a really nice way to kind of think about that because it gets you to think that like literally. Life is life and you make it what you want. And I think, like, you know, as we round off today, I assume that you guys are wrapping me up, but you start to think about that whole conversation and go, okay, well, you know, what, what do you actually want? And when you look back on that and in five or 10 or 20 years' time, you're going to be really proud of the decisions that you made today. And I always love that, you know, don't react in the moment. Will it matter in a year or five years' time? And if it doesn't, just don't do it. And be careful of what you get absorbed by, what actually hooks you in because mm. you, you need to be able to do something that's fulfilling. You know, a great friend and, um, you know, by the name of Phil Harris, He's got an incredible agency over in Adelaide, Harris Real Estate. We'll always go to say, you know, Josh, like, you know, success is not a decade. It's not two. It's four or five decades in being able to do what you're doing, being able to stop at the, stay at the top of that game, not by ego, but because more customers wanted to use you. And I really think that that's, that's really different. Um, I think that's a really important conversation for you to be able to play at your best and make a decision to go there and be purposeful around your actions. Powerful. Powerful. Is that pretty good? Is that what you guys want? Really hey, well, thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to appear on the podcast. Thank you. Appreciate Cheers. it, my friend. Thanks. Thanks so much, guys. Cheers.